Draft picks, signings, trades, and more have highlighted a wild week in the NHL, and it doesn't look like it is slowing down. Hello, everyone. My name is Mario Russo, and joining me temporarily for episode 23 of this podcast is Joshua Levesque, and adding to that list, as always, is Michael Iaboni and, of course, Aiden McCullough. Uh, we have a big jam-packed show in this episode, and... Man, what a wild week in hockey, as you can see off the top of the show. It was. We're going to get into the Seattle expansion draft, their picks and signing. Lots of talent uh, available, but are the Kraken, they snapped at some other bait, is what I'm trying to say, uh, in those waters. Was it the right call? We're obviously going to have to see when they hit the ice in October, but we're going to give our early takes on these picks and signings from the Kraken and Ron Francis. We'll be making our way to the Flyers, making big moves, bolstering their D that appears to be elite in a really decent contending squad going forth in the upcoming months or so after a horrible year that saw them get drenched in goals and obviously led to Carter Hart, who we've talked so much about on this show, hitting the AHL with a down year from him. Are the Phillies a new contender and are they back to being a top team in the national hockey league? We'll be getting to that as well. I'll be highlighting the genius himself, Steve Eiserman, the statue I will assure you is in the making in Detroit after robbing the Canes blind obtaining Najelkovic for what appears to be absolutely nothing, signing him for, I believe it is a two-year contract worth, I want to say $3 million. I'm going to look at my notes in just a bit. But, man, if the Canes couldn't offer them that, it really begs to question and put Najelkovic into question of what he was really looking for out of Carolina when he's making this amount of money. And credit to him, he came off a tremendous season. We'll be getting to the season that he just came off. And what this deal means for not just the Detroit Red Rings, but the future of the Carolina Hurricanes. And the Sabres begin the rebuild, and this has been a commonality that we have seen in the Buffalo Sabres organization over the last decade or so. They're hitting yet another le- rebuild, and big names are starting to go. Reinhardt, to name one. Uh, Ristolainen's another one. It looks like their list is going to grow, highlighted by most likely Jack Eichel himself. We'll be getting into the Sabres trades, and they actually did win a trade. We'll be getting to that one as well. And the Coyotes eating up cap space, or so it seems. Their cap space is gaining in Gill River Arena, or maybe in a few years or so. But they are getting making a lot of deals over the last week or so. We'll be into the Arizona Coyotes and what these deals mean for them, both going forward and for the people they made the deals with. And, of course, the Blackhawks signing Jones to a questionable contract, to say the least. Uh, the Hawks made a lot of noise this past weekend, but Jones takes the cake. We'll begin to his questionable contract, like I just mentioned, and how much he's making, if he's even worth that amount of money going in the future. And of course, we'll provide to you our hot takes, as we always do on the Lease Line podcast. And we'll kick things off here with the Seattle Crack, and they kicked off the week for us, and we'll dedicate our first segment to them. And before I get into anything else, I just want to hear your thoughts on Ron Francis's choices of players. And Aiden, I shall start with you. What do you think Ron Francis was doing in this Seattle expansion draft? Do you think he made a lot of right calls, wrong calls? What's your take on this? Well, I think he did make some definitely questionable calls this week. Um, Just holding our heads with looking at the players he had picked from certain teams. But I think... He has made some questionable choices, but some of them were understandable. He obviously took the approach of we're going to have a lot of cap space in the offseason to hopefully sign guys in, bring in a new team, uh, bring in big names potentially, as there is quite a lot of cap space. I don't remember the exact number. I think it was like upwards of $30 million. Yeah, upwards of $30 million in cap space. But, yeah, hopefully if you can get a player with – 
all that space, then you can definitely be set for the next few years if you sign him to an, like a crazy contract. Like as we saw, Landeskog was asking for upwards of 11 million. And if Seattle does offer him that, I can't imagine why he wouldn't take that. If you get an all-star like him, I think he can definitely be the face of your franchise, bring in fans, and obviously bring in a valuable piece to your lineup. The other thing I saw was he was really drafting players that were younger or players that had more experience. If you look at a guy like Yanni Gord or Jordan Everly, these guys have been in the league for quite a while now and have had a decent amount of success. Yanni Gord coming off two Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning, Jordan Everly had some pretty deep runs with the New York Islanders. And then if you look at the other side of things, you've got guys like, I don't remember his exact name from the Vancouver Canucks, but I don't even think he played an NHL game yet. And he was picked in the expansion draft. Yeah, you're thinking oh. of Cole Lind. Uh, he's yeah, a young Cole forward Lind. in the Canucks organization. He has a uh, high future, high ceiling that they've been projecting uh, for him. But it, it, it felt like this, this at least this past week with the expansion draft, it was sort of a whirlwind of emotions. You, you were expecting heading into it. So much talent available and for the Kraken to snap at, but they didn't seem to go that route at all. And like you mentioned, $30 million in cap space where you could have had maybe 10 or $5 million left at the end of it with the players that were available and the contracts that were up for grabs. And they went the complete other way. Uh, we noticed this with Vegas as well. They didn't use their entire cap when they were drafting. But the thing between Vegas and Ron Francis' team and how he's putting it together is that what is pretty interesting, no side deals from Francis and the Kraken were made during the draft, leading up to the draft, or following the uh, expansion draft, which is something Vegas did, and it's something that made their team, uh, a, I guess you could say, a contending team in their first year, which is why they went all the way down to the Stanley Cup final and losing out uh, against the Washington Capitals. But I don't know. I was I was thinking that this team, and we said it, of course, last week, uh, episode 22, that this team could be a potential massive threat in the Pacific Division and really take some make some noise in this league and advance a couple rounds with the guys available. And the notable names that I've been looking at right now, highlighted by Donskoy, Gourd, and Mark Giordano. So you, that, I think that explains it in itself, the way they went. And I want to hear your thoughts on it as well, Iboni, uh, about the expansion draft, the way it was uh, produced uh, leading up to the draft, and of course the players at the end of the day who Ron Francis went with. Do you think they were the right call, the right group of guys, or are we just going to have to wait till they hit the ice? Or what are your thoughts on this huge event in the National Hockey League and how it went. Uh, I think that Ron Francis made an absolute uh, disgusting massacre with his team. I think that uh, if he can go back and redo it, he wouldn't, but he definitely should. Um, he's drafted only two people over the age of 30, which is uh, quite frightening. So he's obviously looking for a younger team. but um, So a younger cap-efficient team uh, is what he was looking at. However... Um, my ideology on this is that he's kind of trying to tank his team just a little bit uh, in order to get the next uh, couple first-round draft picks, get a Shane Wright, get a Connor Bedard, players like those, um, potentially start building your team from there. However, I do not believe that this is the right case to do because even if you happen to take your team, you are not guaranteed to get those picks. And I think that Buffalo has a pretty strong case of getting those picks after they've made some of their trades, which we'll get into later. Um, but... I think that Ron Francis uh, definitely had the tools uh, in the expansion draft to select their players and make a contending team that I would argue that it's better than Vegas's team, that they can actually go further in the into the playoffs. And they have some aid, some veterancy, some high contracts there. They're up in the $7 millions. However, 
the highest contract here is $6.75 million, and it's their oldest player, which is very, very frightening. It's 37-year-old Mark Giordano at $6.75 million, and then the next highest is 5.5, which is frightening. And there's so many other ways that he could have went with this, and he has to choose one of the worst ways to go with it. Um, he definitely got some youth prospects in there that I've never even heard of, and I have to do some research on them, but... Um, it's nothing really killer. It's just it, – it's a bottom team in the Pacific. Like, when you go and look at the Pacific Division and you look at some of the teams that are in there, I don't know why he didn't go the route of uh, a powerhouse team. When you have teams in the Pacific Division, like the LA Kings who are on a rebuild, the Ducks who are starting a partial rebuild, the San Jose Sharks, which are in a bit of a rebuild, the Coyotes are in a rebuild. That just leaves the Vancouver Canucks who are – trying to scavenge whatever they can to build their season, which I think that um, Seattle could be better than them, as well as the Edmonton Oilers, who are losing some of their players, and the Calgary Flames, who are also getting into a rebuild. So they could be number one or two in this division if they happen to go with that powerhouse team like Vegas. And uh, Ron Francis has made a huge error, and I'm very mad, as you can tell. I've been talking for about two minutes now. It's all good. I mean, I I think I could side with you here. Uh... It's. I was really looking forward, and I, I think many fans are going to agree with me with this, of the excitement that this team could bring, the amount of talent that the Seattle expansion team could come out uh, with by the end of the draft. And I was so excited to see the good players, the good talent that was unfolding. You mentioned last week uh, you made two teams, and Price and Bishop were both on that team, and none of them went to the Kraken's way. So there were so much ex- expectations to this team, so much high ceiling. And of course, Ron Francis, I don't want to say drop the ball because obviously there's still time can tell. We can see how this team plays out on the ice. Maybe it is a super house team that we just uh, don't know about yet. And it's maybe less likely than we would have thought it would be heading into the draft, but we're going to have to see what time says. And I have noticed a lot of things when they strayed away from large contracts. Uh, we mentioned price Tarasenko and Voracek and Tarasenko's, Trade value really did take a hit with the Seattle Kraken uh, not even taking him. So that really begs to question, what are other teams thinking of Tarasenko? If, the, if he's not good enough for the Kraken, who is he good enough for? And what is his money good enough for? So I found that pretty interesting. And NHL, this is one thing I really want to spend some time on. When we're talking about the Seattle Kraken, they dropped the ball in this event. And if you want to put a blame on anything, it is on the National Hockey League. And uh, here's why, and I think a lot of you are going to side with me as well. The submission window for picks being 10 hours apart led to all the big news and who was getting uh, picked up and which way Seattle was going to go with being released before people swallowed their lunch. Like it's something that I was expecting to go watch the draft that night and see, Oh, I was going to be surprised at who this, who they picked from each, every other team. But if I'm, I was with Aiden the entire day, we were working together and we were just getting update after update. We after update. Yeah. We already knew the whole team and we uh, weren't even done any of our orders yet. Uh, back at the old party magic, but it's, uh, I don't know. The NHL, you look at and compare it to the last expansion draft with the Vegas Golden Knights, right? And it was very airtight. You didn't get anything coming out or going in. Uh, None of the the press or these hockey insiders, and don't blame it on the insiders. They're just doing their job. This is what they get paid to do uh, on a weekly basis. That's what brings the money in for them, as well as these TV companies. And ESPN, I really put my heart out to them. This was their first ever uh, NHL events since they ended up losing losing that deal and it just really was a big letdown they already know, knew the team no surprises were made Ron Francis stuck to his guns with what he released to the media during that same day so I don't know I want to hear your thoughts as well on the NHL what could they have done better 
I think there's many things that the National Hockey League could have done better. And Josh, I'm going to turn it over to you because you're just sitting here quietly beside me just watching you speak, which is quite frightening. Uh, what do you think? Now, I'll ask you about the team as well. I forgot to put you through that. But thoughts on Ron Francis' choice of players? And, of course, was there anything the NHL could have done better? We saw with Vegas, they had, a, like I guess you could say, a watertight system where nobody heard at all what names were getting drafted. Uh, what happened with Seattle? I know you can't really tell me because you're a hockey insider or anything, but what, what went on with the Seattle Kraken and why was this event so held in high regard and just didn't perform to what we thought it would be? Well, I mean, for starters, um, when you mentioned about the, the insiders and all that stuff, I mean, I don't understand why they don't make it like the NHL draft where you can just pick as you go. Like they pick with the NHL draft, they pick on the spot. So every single year, nobody knows who you're going to pick. I find it kind of silly that they had to submit their picks like 10 hours in advance. Like it's, it's a, it's a draft. It should be the same as the NHL draft, the NHL entry draft. But with the team, when we were talking about that as well, I was really hoping that all of this stuff was a joke because we talked about it last week. The team that Seattle could have been is close to a cup contender this year, a top team in the Pacific, but now they're looking like a bottom team in the Pacific, as I've only said. So I mean, I noticed that they took a lot of centermen. Not many left or right wingers, but a lot of centermen. So I don't think they're going to have much problem with uh, with winning draws. With the defensemen, another thing I noticed is almost all of their defensemen are massive. If you if you look at names like Jamie Alexiak, Carson Soucy, six foot five, Jamie Alexiak, six foot seven, Will William Borgen, six three, Hayden Flurry, six three. The list goes on. And they're all they're all pretty heavy boys. I don't as much as I wish that they would go for more of a powerhouse, high scoring team. They're looking like a more defensive and and a hard to play around the net team. I don't think there's there's many teams who are going to be able to to get an easy against these guys. But as of right now, it's not looking too hot. Obviously, some picks were no brainers that they made, but like even even the goaltending, I was I was extremely surprised to see. Joey Decord over Forsberg and Vitek Vanacek over a, a goalie who I think should have been picked. No, I thought it was a no-brainer was Capo Kakinen from Minnesota. So overall, I'm relatively surprised, but who knows? Maybe Ron Francis knows something that we don't know. He picked a team that's as if that looks like we're still in the 1980s. So I have no, I have no clue how this is going to go. It could either go super good or super bad. And, that's it. I think, yeah, it's what a lot of people are saying as well. There's obviously no in between. It's black or white with this squad. The, the players that they put out, uh, or drafted rather, haven't put them out just yet, but it's the names aren't sexy names, not highlight names. Nothing crazy coming out of Seattle right now. And if you look at their signings, I think they did maybe hit a, on a couple signings. I like the Alexiak one. Uh, I think their defense, I think, actually, I'm going to ask you guys, Iboni, where would you rank, just quickly, a quick number would do, uh, in the league, Seattle Kraken's defense, where would you rank them in the league amongst the other contending teams? And not saying that Seattle's a contender just yet, but this defense, I think it comes out to play, no? I think top 10. Um, I'm just a little bit concerned with why they drafted so many young defensemen. Like, they've got some guaranteed roster spots. And I looked at this earlier today. They got guaranteed roster spot to Mark Giordano, Jamie Alexia, Adam, Adam Larson, Carson Soucy, uh, Vince Dunn. Those are all guaranteed locks. That's five spots. Now, you've got one more spot to dedicate it to 25-year-old Hayden Fleury, who's making $1.3 million, 26 McDermott, who's making $8.75, uh, 24-year-old Jeremy 
Buffalo was really good. Sorry, played with really good. 850K. William Borgen, who's 24, not really getting development there. When you're, once you're in the 24, 25, 26 range, you're not getting a whole lot more development. You just kind of are what you are. And Dennis Chalonsky, who's 23, probably won't get a whole lot of playing time. Like, defensemen, it's good to have them. But these players aren't going to get any development at all. And they're all going to all these top five names who are basically guaranteed their roster spot just sit around and play their hearts out. Like, I feel bad for a player like Jeremy Lawson, who's probably not going to get their playing time because Hayden Fleury is going to jump in there and play. Like, it's just not really fair to those players. And I think that it's uh, it's good to have for a management perspective, but for the player's perspective, it's a little bit uh, disappointing. But back yeah. to the question, top 10 is where my answer is. Yeah, and I would totally agree with your answer there. And you mentioned, I guess, what you were trying to say here. It's going to be a battle for that 6D spot simply because they have so many options they can turn to. And what are the odds, and I'm, this is one. This is another question to you as well, what are the odds that they flip one of those young defensemen, uh, maybe not young, but like you mentioned, not many, much more room to develop, especially with the Seattle Kraken system, simply because they're at that age where, like you said, they are what they are. Uh, what do you see them flipping maybe one or two of these defensemen since they have so much of a plethora of deep defensemen on their team? Do you see... Uh, the Seattle Kraken flipping any of these guys for maybe picks or maybe even a forward because they could use some help on that. And it can't really be a centerman because they have so much depth uh, down the middle of the ice. So do you see these guys flipping any of their six-man defensemen, maybe the seventh-man defenseman for some upcoming yeah. picks in next year's draft? What are your thoughts on that yeah, as well? Yeah, there, there's two names in particular that really uh, spark my my trade talks on and William Borgen. Um, William Borgen didn't really get a much chance to shine in Buffalo. He didn't play uh, much or if in Buffalo. He's a name that can probably be around. I've been hearing his name a lot recently. Very good prospect, very good defensive defenseman who can also put up a couple uh, assists. Not a huge goal scorer, but he's also a pretty big boy. Uh, and, uh, a two-way defenseman who's really good, uh, can put the puck in the net, good passer, uh, pretty good agility, and I've watched a couple of his games. Um, and he just looks like a very solid player plays him. So, uh, he's going to be one of the odd, and I think the teams would definitely be interested in him. Yeah. Both young and has a big skill set. I think that was what the Seattle crack and we're obviously looking at when they were going to take these guys and select these guys. And I think if you're looking at the amount of defensemen that they've drafted, there's a lot of space on this team and you can only, you can only, uh, roster six starting defensemen, right? So it's going to go down to who's the best defenseman opening day. And it would be a great idea if you're Ron Francis. And it doesn't look like he's up with too many great ideas if you're looking at the roster that he's just putting out. But it would not be in his worst interest, or rather in his best interest, to uh, go out and flip these guys for some valuable pieces in the future. And I think we spend a lot a lot of time on analyzing this roster. I just want to turn this one over to – I'll talk with you, Josh, as well. Uh, biggest winners and losers from the Kraken expansion draft one of my biggest questions on this topic. Uh, who do you rank as the biggest winner and the biggest loser with everything all said and done? Well, I think right now <clears throat> the biggest winner is uh, Columbus. Gavin Bayreuther. He's, don't get me wrong, his contract's not huge, but he's 27 years old. He's not known. There's no, there's no development at that point. Like, when you're 27 years old and you're a defenseman, I only mentioned it the best. The 24, 25 age range is when you stop the, when you, when you're almost stop stopping developing. He's 27 and hasn't cracked a big lineup. It hasn't hasn't cracked a big spot in the lineup. Uh, a big loser, I would say, which is a huge win for Seattle, would be uh, Colorado losing a player like Don Skoy, who's 
I think a great depth depth player. His contract's not too hefty, and with how he played last year, he looked fantastic. Uh, and I mean, there's 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 so many to mention. I mean, who who else? Uh, the Leafs lost Jared McCann. I I did I don't like the way that Dubis did the 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 four and four. I don't see a huge reason to protect Justin Hall over like forward depth, but I mean, I thought. Jared McCann has a bit, he's he's a good player like we talked about last week but he's also got a he's got a pretty good, he's got a pretty good contract for Seattle so again again there's they have so much cap space but there's a few teams who won a few teams who lost but overall there's just so many losses for Seattle which is like it's it's just it's not fun to look at yeah, and I, I think if you're a Kraken fan or just beginning to be one and if you're living in the Seattle area and you finally have a team to root for there's not many positives to pull from the roster that Ron Francis is throwing out there, looking to throw out there, rather, come October. Now, we still have some signing days ahead. I believe July 28th, the big free agent frenzy across the National Hockey League. Uh, we'll see if Ron Francis makes any noise there. And as just a fan of the game, I'm really hoping he does so. And as, as well as the Leafs, you mentioned uh, protecting Kerfoot and going with that formation, the 4-4. Four and four. Uh, for protecting Justin Hall. Now, Justin Hall is our top six or top four D-man, rather. He's playing the shutdown line, the shutdown role with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I think he was much worth the protection, giving Kerfoot some insurance with McCann and even giving Hall some insurance. So it looks like Dubis, and we'll get into the Leafs in just a second. But uh, I'll turn this one over to you as well, Aiden. I'll go with you because you haven't said much in this episode really at all. So who do you put in as the biggest winners and losers? Josh touched upon the Donskoy and the Colorado Avalanche. The Colorado Avalanche, Colorado Avalanche have a lot of depth pieces. So Donskoy, I would say from any other team, would be a big loss. But I think Colorado has a lot more uh, names to pull from the bag with uh, the guys in their prospect pool as well as the guys who they can go out and get simply. Uh, so yeah, I think Donskoy, not only is he a big loss for... Colorado, but any if you put him on any other team, he would be a massive loss. Such a great player coming off a career year. But I'm going to just stop talking and turn this over to you. Who do you got the, as the biggest winners and losers from this expansion draft? All right, so I have two two of these for each, but I'll be quick about them. So the first one I have for the biggest loser is the Penguins, unfortunately. They lost Brandon Tanev, who has been a vital piece of this team for a very long time now. Um, he's obviously a great physical presence doesn't shy away from the body at all. He's just one of the he's one of the guys who has the most hits each and every season throughout and through. He doesn't tire. He's not very injury prone. So and he's a solid depth producer. Don't forget about that. He is pretty good at putting the puck in the net, especially when it does matter. He scored some great goals for the Penguins this season in the postseason. Unfortunately that was short lived, but nonetheless he's going to be a very valuable piece for Seattle. Another loser I have is the Edmonton Oilers. They lost Adam Larson, you know, a great shutdown D-man, a guy who just, frankly, eats up ice time for them. And this means, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the Oilers have lost, obviously, their only remaining asset from the Taylor Hall trade, as it was Hall for Larson one for one. So looking back on that now, it doesn't look like much of a win to get uh, Adam Larson rental. He did play great in Edmonton, but... To lose him for free, you'd never like to see that from any player. For the winners, I've actually got the Calgary Flames. Uh, you know, they might have lost their captain of eight years and 15-year vet on the blue line, but they also freed up nearly $7 million in cap space to do whatever they want with 
Uh, so going forward in the free agent market, they definitely have some leeway to not only look at some bigger name guys or to re-sign some of the guys who are currently UFAs or RFAs next year. Uh, and to be honest, I think Giordano's play was beginning to decline rapidly the past few seasons. He did win the Norris a few years ago, but to be honest, since then, I don't think his play has really ever been the same. The final loser I have is the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, sorry, final winner I have is the Carolina Hurricanes. Losing Hayden Flurry meant that they were able to actually keep Jake Bean instead of losing him for nothing. And they actually traded him to Columbus for a second round draft pick, meaning they were able to recoup assets for him. As he, I was actually surprised that he wasn't picked by Seattle as he is a young, looking like, looking to be a young stud in this league. Uh, only played in really the bottom six or the bottom pairing of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes last season. But even still, I think he will be a top four defenseman one day. So to be able to recoup assets for him rather than losing him for nothing, I see that as a win for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, and I'm going to have to sag with you as well with the Edmonton Oilers. I really had them as my biggest loser or at least one of them, if you're going to put down the biggest loser, I think Iaboni's going to have a big, fat one uh, steaming and getting ready to go. But uh, for me, the Edmonton Oilers really dropped the ball in this expansion draft. They let uh, Adam Larson walk, which was a really, you mentioned it was the last part of the Taylor Hall trade, and that is, like a lot of Edmonton Oilers trades, is not looking as good as it seemed, or really not looking good at all, because they never got anything really back from it, anything productive, rather. So Adam Larson walked, and of course, who did they select from the Edmonton Oilers? Was it, uh, did Adam Larson, Adam Larson, Larson. it was Adam Larson, I guess he signed, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, they were trying, I remember the Oilers and Ken Holland were working towards trying to recoup his contract and get him back on the team. He was going to be a valuable piece, rack up a lot of top minutes alongside Nurse, but the you lose him for nothing and that's something that's going to sting for a while and they are in the pacific division together so adam larson playing against his former team now the edmonton oilers isn't going to be looking too good i can see him having a great career with seattle he's a great defenseman no matter which way you split it so i think edmonton oilers really came on the losing end of things when it comes to looking at this draft and iboni i think i'm ready to hear your answer of this biggest loser and of course if you have any nice words the biggest winner in this draft so what do you got up for us right now biggest winners and uh there's one whopping loser i'm gonna name the winners real some of them off um winner um philadelphia Tarwinski. uh they didn't pick goss this bear they picked this random guy i've never even heard of before he's 23 apparently he's pretty promising but uh leaving goss to spare not on your team is just a massive ball and very um promising for the philadelphia in order to keep him and then him to get some uh, assets as well. Actually, they got no return for that, but we'll get back to that. Um, but again, that's a win for Phil. Um, another one. Uh, I've been hearing Kings fans actually win that they took Curtis McDermott. Uh, massive defensive liability, and he's really bad in his own end. Uh, like a Martin Robinson, but um, tall, like taller and actually body so i'm heavy for checking but bad if you any kind of defense out of this player so i think that's a win for the kings and not getting 
Um, the St. Louis Blues, they didn't get Tarasenko taken from them. That's huge. He's still got massive trade value. He's still a really solid player in the lost Vince Dunn, which, I mean, is a solid defenseman. But um, when you're talking about Tarasenko, it's 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 a win to keep that player over Vince Dunn. Uh, now to my big loser. Uh, that's Seattle. Seattle lost their own expansion. They were not very good at all. Most of their picks were pretty garbage. Um, they they could have done so much better. And I touched upon this earlier, so I'm going to be very, very brief with this. Um, there were so many people that they missed out on that um, they chose, but they probably shouldn't have because the age is up there or the cap is up there or better options on the team selected. So um, just so many other ways that this team could have went, and they chose one of the worst to possibly go down. But We'll see how it all plays out on the ice, and hopefully for Ron France, this is good, but I think that I'm correct in saying the statement that Seattle's is one of the biggest losers, and it's not really that close in comparison. And, yeah, I mean, Seattle, obviously, coming out on the losing end of things in their own draft, that is a tough pill to swallow if you're Ron Francis. I don't know. I think we're going to be talking about this for quite a while, I guess at least through the rest of the summer until they roster a team and we see how they play on ice because – they had such high promise with the players that they've been playing. And I, see, I hate to sound like a broken record. I think it's all I've been talking about with this talent that's been available. But it's really the main storyline. You look at the guys that they could have chose from, and they went the complete opposite way. We're going to see if this pays off in the future. But as of right now, and we're looking at it, it's what, July 25th? As of July 25th, it's not looking too great for Seattle. And they really laid a big goose egg on this entire expansion draft, along with the NHL, who really dropped the ball on the broadcasting of it as well as the just keeping it uptight and secret. I think that headlines are segment for the Seattle Kraken. And just to slowly touch upon, this is the Leafs line podcast, like we always say, we got to get some Maple Leafs news in here, right? So uh, McCann, is, his stay in Toronto was very short-lived as he was selected by Francis and the Kraken. And while I think we can all be safe to say this, will make an immediate impact on an offense that's really taking uh, offer sheets for who's going to be playing on this team because there's not too many really high-end offensive players rostered right now for the Seattle Kraken as of before the trade, uh, not the trade deadline, but before the free agent signing. So McCann's going to fit in quite nicely, uh, maybe a top six role. I don't see him dropping below there. And uh, basically, if you're looking at it now, Dubas paid a seventh in Hollander to keep his lineup intact and protect Kerfoot and Hall from the Kraken. Is it the right choice? Was it an overpay to protect Kerfoot? And was it worth it? Are these big questions that we've been asking? And it's going to be a big question that I turn it over to you. So, Aiden, I'll start with you. Was it an overpay to protect Kerfoot? You're giving up a seventh in Hollander to protect a player who was really good in the playoffs, coming off a strong playoff performance alongside William Nylander in that recent first-round exit to the Montreal Canadiens. And he had a pretty okay season. And we do know that Kerfoot is able to play on that second line with Tavares and Nylander, as we've seen in the playoffs. So, uh, do you think this was an overpay to protect Kerfoot, sending a seventh in Hollander? And at the end of the day, was it worth doing? Uh, I think it's honestly a shame that uh, McCann couldn't play for the Leafs. You know, I watched him for the last few seasons playing for the Penguins. And this season, he really seems to blossom in his play. Uh, he was just a scoring machine down the, str- down the stretch. And I thought he'd just be the perfect depth score that the Leafs really need, especially when it counts in the playoffs. But I think overall you can look at this situation in one of two ways, really. You can say that since Seattle, as we know, is charging pretty much just straight first-round picks to not take players in the expansion draft, I think it was worth it for the Leafs to only pay 
a seventh and a Hollander to give Seattle an alternative to him. On the other hand, you can look at Kerfoot's value on this team, uh, specifically his contract value, and say, you know, do we really mind losing this guy? Well, we know, obviously, he's a third, solid third-line player, second-line player, like you mentioned, Mario, sometimes. On this team, he plays the penalty kill, sometimes on the power play, he plays center and the wing, so clearly he's a very versatile player, either way you look at it. Is he a guy you, who you can replace easily? I mean, we can see what kind of options there are in free agency, but I'd say Kerfoot is not really a guy that you can easily replace, especially at the 3.5 million AAV he's at at the moment. And one of the biggest things that we forget about Alexander Kerfoot is that he's very versatile. He can play the center position and he can play the wing, which uh, is not really something that many players in this league can say, especially with uh, the ability to make such an impact that he has both in a top six role and as he's proven time and time again throughout his tenure with the Toronto Maple Leafs on that third line. So it's obviously a tough pill to swallow. McCann, like you mentioned, you watched him in Pittsburgh over the last couple of seasons. He is a goal scorer. He's a much better goal scorer at that than Alexander Kerfoot. Does he bring a bigger, uh, round out the bigger package than Alexander Kerfoot? That's a little bit up in the air because you look at Kerfoot, what he can offer. He's good at setting up guys. He's good in front of the net and he can really... Uh, move the puck around quite nicely. He's not really that pure goal scorer that we see in McCann. Uh, and do we really need, as a Toronto Maple Leafs organization, if you were talking about Dubas, do we need more goal scorers, uh, truly, more pure goal scorers? I don't think so. I think you need a guy who can accommodate uh, the players around you. Because, And this is what we're going to get into just very briefly. Who are we losing this offseason for the Toronto Maple Leafs? You look at Zach Hyman. It's This has really hurt me. When I learned this news, he's signing with the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, nothing really Dubas can do. He doesn't have the money to play with. Now, he sort of maybe dug his own hole when he signed these big-name guys like Matthews, Marner, the core guys, to such massive contracts. And maybe left Zach Hyman a little bit at the back door and on the back burner, not really thinking that he would need such a high price tag going with him. So that one is a tough pill to swallow. So you're going to need a guy to play with Matthews and Marner. That's first and foremost. You're also going to need a depth player to play on that third and fourth line that can possibly play center. Uh, I don't. If you're going to say Engvall, or not center, but center or the wing, you're going to say Engvall is going to be able to get the job done. Uh, at least did leave him unprotected. He's coming off a down year. So you're going to need a guy who's going to play for uh, that kind of role as well. You're also going to want, with Zach Bogosian uh, looking to hit free agency here, you're going to need a big body defenseman. And uh, you could say those things go on, grow on trees, which they do, but very skilled ones do not grow very easily. And they take a lot of time to develop, not only in the system, but in the other hockey leagues. So it's going to be a really big offseason. And not to mention, Freddie, you might need a goaltender if Freddie walks and goes to another team this free agency. Uh, the Leafs haven't really made too many big right here to keeping him back and letting him return to this organization, either playing 1A or 1B or interchanging with Jack Campbell. So you're going to have a lot of guys you get to bring back, guys that you're going to have to go after if you're trying to make beliefs. And keeping Kerfoot here might be, maybe in the long run, the best call because maybe Zach uh, can. Uh, Jared McCann wouldn't be that great fit uh, accommodating these top-line players. And I, Boney, I know I talked for quite a while now. What did you think or did you look at it when you saw it? Was it an overpay to protect Kerfoot? And was it worth it protecting him over any other player on this team? Um, I think that it was not an overpayment in order to protect him. I think that it was a right decision to make, and it took me a long time to realize this. But um, if we didn't pick up Jared McCann, we lost Kripa, and then we need to replace a third-line center in free agency. 
because Jared McCann would have been selected from the Pittsburgh Penguins if he had not gotten that trade. So obtaining Jared McCann for essentially uselessness from the Leafs organization because we're never going to end up using um, – oh, shoot, what's his name? Hallander, Philip oh. Hallander. And that seventh-round pick is a lottery pick. That's probably not going to be all that great. Um, and you get a player who potentially could have been in your lineup and maybe you lose Kerfoot and you keep McCann. And then it kind of works out the same way because they're basically the same player. Uh, it, it basically allows you to keep your third-line center intact at all times. And you barely paid anything. So I, th- I think that it's the right call that they made. It did take me a long time to realize it. Um, I was a little bit upset that they didn't go the seven three one method, but um, I, I guess what you said makes sense that you don't just grow uh, defensemen off trees. But um, when I noticed that when Hall wasn't with Muzzin, though, his game started to struggle a little bit. So that's something to monitor this season and make sure that it's a little bit more solidified. Because um, we, we want to make sure that if things happen, that Hall can play away from Jake Muzzin. And maybe it's not just the Jake Muzzin effect or something. So that that's what made me a little bit upset about not going the 7-3-1 route. But um, I think that we did make the right decision. We can always still get another player in free agency. Uh, we do need to replace that Hyman role, which I think uh, will be definitely a struggle. But uh, there are players out in the market that can definitely suffice that role. Yeah, and I've heard names thrown around. Bertuzzi's been a big one that can kind of fill the shoes of Zach Hyman. And to me, I don't think anyone can really fill the shoes or have the same effect or even come close to that effect that Zach Hyman made, not only to this organization and this franchise, but to the guys around him. Uh, you guys know me. I always talk really highly about Zach Hyman. I love the way he plays. To me, he's the, I want to say the best player to ever don a Maple Leafs uniform, but my favorite player to ever watch don a Maple Leafs uniform because he plays sort of the right way. He invented and defined the term hockey player, at least in my eyes. He's always getting dirty, getting in the corners, and feeding the puck to the guys around him, the star players. And he knows his role, and I don't I don't see him doing anything but uh, anything else but that in Edmonton when he goes in size with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and even much so those bigger names. He'll be getting a lot of points in Edmonton, and sometimes it will be against the Leafs, which is going to be a really tough pill to swallow. But it really hurts losing Zach Hyman. He was a really big piece in this organization, one of the undermined elements to this core. And I wish Kyle Dubas, I know he didn't have really much money to spend and dedicate towards retaining Zach Hyman and bringing him back, but I wish they maybe made a little bit more of an attempt, maybe shop some other guys, get some more cap space, and try to uh, retain Zach Hyman. That is a gamble at the end of the day, but a gamble is worth it on a guy that that, that plays that stature. And it's going to be tough to see him go, but, I mean, it is a business after all. Hockey is a business, and it had to be done. There was no really zigzagging around it. I know the Leafs are now trying to shop for a little bit of a return, maybe trying to retain some of that money or maybe signing him to a contract and then trading him off. There's so many things that Kyle Dupes could go with this, and we're going to just see in the upcoming days which way this plays out. But I think that's going to be about all the Leafs news we hear. It's been pretty quiet over the last couple of weeks for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They didn't get to make much noise at the draft with only three picks. Uh, the expansion draft, it was sort of predicted, and we already knew who was going to go, either Kerfoot or McCann. And, of course, Zach Hyman's been all the talk in the GTA and in Leafs Nation. And I think we've really said too much, I wouldn't say, of Zach Hyman. So that's about all the Leafs news for the Leafs Line podcast right now. We're turning it over to the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Gosses Spears is going to be the first player I start with on this show. He's heading to the Yotes for, well, nothing. I think, Iboni, you highlighted this as well when you were talking about the Seattle Kraken and how the Philly came out as a winner in this draft because they didn't really have to give uh, – they got came out kind of scot-free with uh, the retention of Gossespierre joining the club back. Well, he wasn't there for long, and 
uh, joining the Ghost in the deal of the Flyers' second round and a seventh round pick in next year's draft. Now, it was clear cut as a cap dump. Uh, Ghost will be racking up the minutes with Oliver Ackman Larson now gone. We'll be getting into that trade as well when we turn our way to the Coyotes sort of segment of the show. And Ghost, he does have a $4.5 million cap hit and was demoted to the minors last year after a horrible season. Now, that cap space that we got from, or I wouldn't say we, but the Philadelphia Flyers got from Gossespierre did go to what now looks to be the former Sabres defenseman, Rasmus Ristolainen. Now, this add to this deal was the Flyers' first-round pick, second-round pick in 2023, and defenseman Robert Hag. Now, Ristolainen also has just one year left on his contract at $5.4 million. So this is kind of looking to be maybe a rental. Uh, obviously, a really pretty long rental being an 82-game season that is coming up. And he will be playing some decent minutes with the Flyers. But he has put up 40-point uh, seasons and north of there as well, four times in his career. And I'm going to stop myself right there, turn it over to you guys. What are your thoughts on not only the Gossesphere deal, but mainly so this Ristolainen deal? Now, there's been highly critiqued, highly praised, depending on which side you're uh, looking at throughout social media with the NHL as well. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. I, Boney, I'll start with you, and then I'll turn it over to Aiden. Uh, what do you think of Ristolainen, this deal? He's heading to the Flyers really making this defensive group look a lot more better than it was heading into the offseason. We knew they struggled with keeping the puck out of the back of the net. So Ristolainen obviously is an increase there. But was the overpay a little bit too much? Yes, uh, it definitely was. The overpayment for Rasmus Ristolainen is uh, quite sufficient. I mean, Robert Hag is Robert Hag, and he's a um, pretty solid defensive defenseman. Uh, he can rack up a couple points on the side. Uh, so he Probably second pair, maybe third pairing with uh, Buffalo. That's a good asset in, in return for him. However, second round pick but I think sorry maximum third third pick for this defenseman he is not proven over the last few he is not proven to be worth a 14th overall pick and um, when you're playing Buffalo obviously your production isn't going to be as um, set in stone as when you play in other areas but I mean, take the numbers that you see in front of you. Predict that he's going to be so much better on uh, Philadelphia and then overpay on what you think he's going to be because it's most of the time. So that's why I think that it's a bit of an overpayment. I mean, you know, Buffalo, for finally winning a trade, they're a nice prospect, uh, a good player, and then even a nice pick for next year that can possibly turn into a nice depth for middle six forward. But a lottery ball to throw in, and uh, we, Buffalo hasn't been all that great for late for we thought. Yeah, and it was a pretty uh, choppy answer. I don't know if it was just on my end, Aiden. I don't know if you got any of that as well. Was no, it, it was choppy was it, for me too? Yeah, so a little bit choppy, but I did I'm hear. I, I, no, I heard. A, I heard the meat and potatoes of okay. it. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, the the biggest part of all that I think I'm going to side with as well. That first round pick. I, I know when I saw that from the deal, I my eyes almost came out of my uh, face, and they do have a really good tendency of doing that. So uh, that first round pick really. 
if I don't, that was a big overpay for Rasmus Ristolainen. I had him on my fantasy team and actually shopped him to Mr. Michael Iaboni uh, last season, and he ended up winning the uh, championship for our fantasy league. So, you know, of course, that's my way of trading players, trade them to the best best team. But uh, the first round pick, in my eyes, is a big overpay for Rasmus Ristolainen. We mentioned he has put up 40, 40 points in his career four times. So, Obviously, he's not terrible. He can get some decent points, job done. And playing in Buffalo is no slouch either. It's, uh, it's you're, you're basically playing the top minutes and top power plays. I think you mentioned Iboni was playing back-to-back power plays for how poor the Buffalo Sabres defensive core is. So, yeah, exa- exactly. So it's you're racking up everything in Buffalo, and he's nothing too crazy. It's not really a sexy name, Rasmus Ristolainen. He's and you're giving up also defenseman Robert Hag, so you don't really consider Hag a throw-in with the capabilities that he can play. He's probably maybe a bottoms uh, bottom four defenseman on the team, but I don't know. I really think this was an overpay. I'm going to turn it over to Aiden. Aiden, do you think this was an overpay? Do you think it was the right price tag for Rasmus Ristolainen? Uh We know he's coming off of a decent season with the Buffalo Sabres, who on his team had a pretty poor season. They're entering the rebuild stage. He was obviously part of the end game plan, shipping him off to a team. Buffalo looks to be winning this trade. Do you have any other ideas? Um, I mean, no, not really. It's pretty hard to argue that this wasn't an overpayment. I mean, a first, a second, and a prospect for Rasmus Ristolainen. Usually when you see such a hefty load of uh, assets, you usually see a big name on the other side, like uh, Jack Eichel. They've been talking about what they charge for Eichel, and it's a first, another first, and then a top prospect and this honestly isn't that far away from that so it's surprising that Buffalo was actually able to get all this for Ristolainen. and I think the Flyers mindset going into this was that obviously he's had uh, consistent success throughout his career so they're betting on that he'll stay on the same track and do that for their team but even at that rate I think you've just paid a hefty price I think the Flyers are showing that they're obviously trying to win now. They don't really have any young guys necessarily on the on the lineup. No spring chickens. Most of the guys on the team are vets. They have been in the league for a while. And they're just showing that by giving away their picks uh, that they're really trying to win now. Yeah, and I was going to ask that question a bit later, but I think I got to ask this question like right now. Did you use the term spring chickens? <laughs> I did. Um <laughs> I, I couldn't really think of anything else to like describe um, people that were like new to the league and the moment. So kind of just came chickens just came up, man. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, I love the, I love the metaphor first and foremost. I'm going to be using that one on uh, the upcoming shows. That is for sure. But uh, who is not a spring chicken? And there we go. I got to incorporate it right away. Atkinson for Voracek. Now, these two players, and you very rarely see in the NHL a one-for-one deal. Uh, Atkinson has four years left on his contract, $5.875 million as his cap hit, and he averaged 59 points through 82 games. And Voracek has three years at $8.25 million AAV and averaged 68 points through 82 games. Both players struggled in the defensive end, of course. They are kind of pure forwards with their respective teams and are entering their age 32 seasons. Now, Voracek was originally drafted in, I believe, 2007 with the Columbus Blue Jacks, so he will be returning to his, I guess you could say, former team 
and reuniting with the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, I guess, over 15, uh, 13 years later. So it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow both these players, but I'm going to turn this over to you, and I'll start with you, Aiden, and I'll go back to you, Iboni. Uh, what do you think of the trade, especially? Like, these two players, uh, I want to say they're old, but they're kind of reaching the tail end of their prime, both carrying kind of poor contracts on their own part. Uh, you look at this Voracek one, three years averaging $8.25 million dollars. I mean, great for the Philadelphia uh, Flyers for shipping off this massive contract to Columbus, but it's not like they retained that much back. They got, I guess, Atkinson 5.875, so about a two-point-something million-dollar difference. So you're, you're, you're keeping a little bit more cap space with Atkinson. You know, definitely you're getting a decent player out of him who's reaching the tail end of his prime, but what are your thoughts on the deal, Aiden? Do you think, uh, was it a win for Philly? Was it a win for Columbus? Because Columbus seemed to have gained a lot of picks uh, over the last couple of days, so this deal sort of came out of nowhere no uh yeah definitely I wasn't I didn't hear any rumblings about this trade until pretty much up until it happened I think this is most likely a win for Philly uh Atkinson has more years left on his contract with definitely a large pay cut in his AAV each season I mean Atkinson oh we got some screams in the background Atkinson definitely brings He's an amazing penalty killer. Last season he had he was racking up all of the penalty killing points for Idoni last year. That's why he was getting all his wins in that category. Definitely pissed us off uh every week. <laughs> That's but, yeah, Atkinson, I mean he's been playing on the Columbus team, which hasn't been known to be that much of an offensive threat for the past few seasons. So the fact that he's putting up almost the same amount of points as Voracek. Uh, just shows you how much of a win this really is for the Flyers. Um, under Voracek, if you look at carrying an 8.25 million AAV for three seasons, I mean, sure he could add some passing, some uh, passing touch to your power play. He's not really going to be a big goal scorer that much. Maybe he entices Line A to stay for a little bit longer. I could see him. Uh, maybe being the go-to guy, uh, getting giving Line A those one-timers on the left side there. But honestly, one-for-one one deal. I was expecting more coming from Col- coming from uh, Columbus there. But just to see one-for-one, one, looking at uh, the financial side of things, looking at the production side of things, and what each player brings to the team, I think we've got to go with Philly as a winner for this trade. Yeah, and I have to side with you as well. Uh, the Flyers obviously giving off a horrible contract that was signed, I guess, when Voracek was in, I guess you could say his prime was a big deal, a long deal, and it's slowly coming to an end. He does have three more years left, and the $8.25 million price tag was something that you had to ship ship off immediately, especially if you want to kind of decently spend at this upcoming free agent frenzy. Now you have a bit of money to play with, and uh, I guess you can go from there. And yeah, Voracek could complement Line I mean... Uh, it's obviously probably going to be the best player he plays with uh, alongside. Uh, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets are obviously going in a totally different direction with their team. More youth. They're slowly rebuilding after an ugly performance last season, and the players are slowly starting to trickle out. Atkinson was one of the unlucky souls to make his way, or I guess you wouldn't say unlucky, but a luckier soul to uh, come into Philly that's looking to be a contending team. And that's the big question. And Iboni, I'm going to just skip you about the Voracek deal, but I'm going to turn to you with this even bigger question. Are the Flyers built to win now? Now, they got Atkinson. They have Ristolainen. 
and they have a bunch of cap space that they did go spend on Rich Alignment, but they still have a bit more cap space left over. Are the Flyers built to win now? They did get Ryan Ellis last week uh, with Nashville. They have a lot of pieces and a lot of big pieces and a lot of unlikely pieces that we didn't think we'd be seeing coming to Philly after a tremendously garbage year. I didn't expect them to see them do that bad at all, but they ended up proving me wrong. So are they built to win now, Iboni? Yes or no? Um, depends how they do in the off season is what I'm going to say. Am I still choppy, by the way? No, you're good yeah, right now. Okay. Yeah, so it depends on what they do in the off season. being honest, because uh, Connor, Connor Hart needs a, a contract. He's an RFA. Uh, a couple people need uh, contracts. Travis Sanheim needs one. Uh, uh, but if they get a nice solid backup in their um, – or even like a starting goal team, if they want to go and put a guy in front of – or a guy behind her, because um, right now Brian Ellis is up too. I don't think you really want to bring him back. Uh, 36-year-old netminder who really struggled a lot last year. Uh, I don't think you want to bring him back. So it depends what they do in the offseason, but uh, I think they're definitely closer than what they were before. They've got a uh, solid decor, one of the best in the league. you got Provorov, Ellis, Rasein, and Braun. Uh, just to name a couple. Uh, a few more people that they need to bring back on D. Plus, you got some uh, notable names on the forward side. you got still Claude Giroux, Kevin Hayes, uh, Van Riemsdyk, Atkinson now, uh, who gets shorthanded points, uh, as Aiden already knows. Uh, he was on my fantasy team, and he was killer. I think that was the trade of the year. Anthony Pavilion for Cam Atkinson. That was the trade of the year. Uh, this guy's amazing on the penalty kill, and then, now they get some really solid penalty killers, and uh, he can even play in the power play as well, which is solid for the, um, for the Flyers. And they got their depth guys, and they've got their youth as well. They got Morgan Frost, they got Joel Farabee, all these young players. Uh, so I definitely think that they are built to win now, and I don't think that you tear it all down. Uh, as they only have three players over the age of 30, and that's Ethan Braun, Ryan Ellis, and Claude Giroux. Sorry, that's a lie. Uh, Cam Atkinson and Van Rensselaer. So it's not even that much. It's not, it's not a whole lot of players that are over the age of 30. Uh, and 30 is typically the age when you start to degrade a little bit and your play starts to decrease just a tad. Uh, so it's nice that they still have these young players, these energetic and fast players that are good in various aspects. So they're definitely built to win now. Uh, this offseason will dictate how far that they will make it into the offseason. I think that they make a move, they make a goaltender move, a little bit um, of a forward uh, increase on the depth side as they have $12 million to spend in. Uh, that's quite a hefty amount in order to fluctuate around all your team's needs. So I think that they could definitely pull off a nice, healthy run in the playoffs. Yeah, and lots of promising signs coming into the Flyers camp. Uh, they've improved in a lot of areas, just considering after finishing at the bottom end of the table last season. Carter Hart, he is, like you mentioned, a pending RFA. He in need of a contract. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go get a veteran goaltender and stick him out there in front of him, maybe teach him a little more because it clearly showed last year that the development uh, wasn't there. He wasn't ready yet. Uh, he maybe had a decent season in Philly the year before, but you couldn't put number two together, and that kind of erases number one a bit. So uh, Carter Hart's going to be a big question mark, in my opinion, leading into the season. You don't hoping he improved and did a lot of work in the offseason to get better and ready himself for this upcoming season where the divisions are totally changed and now you got to battle in that metro division and maybe make your way into a playoff spot it's a big division it's a tough division and uh, i think that's at, at the end of the day the outline goal for the philadelphia flyers so uh there's the other thing you mentioned james van reamsdyke and claude drew both players who are like records that don't skip a beat they are the beat that keeps going on in philly they uh don't age 
simply that simply that they play every single season they produce points gvr we saw with his tenure during during his tenure as a maple leaf and we continue to see it as a member of the philadelphia flyers both young and now kind of old his ability to play in front of the net and tip things home that is something that and i, I don't know if you're going to pull up any other names but i think he's the most valuable piece in front of the net and of all players across this national hockey league he can find the back of the net from just about anywhere in that circle, in that paint, and he really gets in the goalie's grill, which is something that annoys and frustrates the other team. And I think that's if you're playing on Philly and any other team, that plays to your own squad's advantage. So JVR, you really dodged a bullet in the expansion draft for the Kraken not taking him. That's a big piece coming back. And I don't know, this Philly, the this Philadelphia Flyers team here, I think they are pending, like you mentioned, Iboni, a couple contracts that need to be signed. I say need because this will clearly put this team back into where they were a couple years ago when they made their way on a deep playoff run to a contending team. And I'm going to turn this one over to you, Aiden, as well. Do you have any different thoughts? Do you think the Flyers are built to win now, or are they missing, like you mentioned, some spring chickens? Uh, I think with the steps the the Flyers have been taking recently uh, in the last few days, they're definitely heading in the right direction you know, they probably would have liked to get rid of Gosset Spears' contract without having to give up any picks by either placing them in, on waivers or through another method. But nonetheless, it gives them much more needed cap space. And they've really started to solidify their defensive core with the accusations of Ellis and Ristolan, and like you said. And the only thing really I would have liked to see them put more effort in is the goaltending, like I've only said. Uh, tandem of Hart and Elliot last year was just not cutting it. Uh, with both currently not on contract, I would have thought they were going to at least explore their options between the pipes going forward, considering they don't actually have a goalie signed to contract at the moment, as even their third-string goaltender, uh, I can pull his name off now. Alex Leon. Alex, Alex Leon, yeah. He is a UFA as well, so they currently don't have a goaltender signed to contract which gives this team a lot of options considering we know how much of a mess last year was in that yeah they couldn't keep the puck out of the back of the net that's for sure uh positive signs like you mentioned the defensive end of things the forward end of things a little bit uh aging very slowly but these guys who are aging like i mentioned don't skip a beat and continue to get the job done promising signs in philly and promising signs in another organization just north of the philadelphia flyers uh, arena the Detroit Red Wings, Ned Delkovich, man, heading to Motor City for Jonathan Bernier and a third-round pick. Eisman later signed the former Kane to a two-year contract for $3 million AV. And the kicker, it was in the same day. The 25-year-old is coming off a tremendous season, posting a 15-5-3 record for the Canes in the regular season, of course, and became the starter and goal very quickly with Peter Mrazek going out with injury and James Reimer. I don't know if he went out with injury or it was a scuffle in play, but... He overtook the veterans' net mining position as well. And he was, to boot, a finalist for the Calder, all the while posing a 9.32 save percentage. So my big question is, what did you just do, Carolina? Iboni, please answer this question because you follow this uh, this situation, the storyline, and this team very closely. And I know you take these players kind of close to heart. What happened with the Canes, and how did they not get a deal done with uh, Nindelkovic, who recently just signed with the Detroit Red Wings, for $3 million. Yeah, and I'd just like to um, point out that that's the first time we've properly pronounced Nadeljevic's name correctly. Thank you. I was waiting so for round of, Thank you. Round Can we of get applause. a round of applause? Thank you. I'm so awesome. I feel so happy. 
<laughs> yeah, so um, definitely something that we weren't expecting at all. So it just kind of came out of the blue. And we don't really know why this um, former Calder tro um, Trophy finalist just did not get re-signed. It's only a $3 million contract. And it's not like the Carolina Hurricanes are that tight to the cap. They, get, they definitely could have made some moves, made some things happen. And I get that they have an abundance of goaltending. But at the moment, they have $29 million in cap space without all, without all their people needing to be signed. <clears throat> so they can maneuver their money and try to get this goaltender back. And I, I would even argue, even if you happen to lose a Peter Morazic and not have to sign him to get that $3 million goaltender... I think you go ahead and do it. You keep the young gun and you got to keep that guy. He's your future there, man. And I've watched this guy play. This guy's insane. Uh, the crowd goes wild for him. They all love him. They call him Ned. Uh, it's amazing watching him play and um, definitely going to be missed. Uh, definitely all the fans are very, very pissed off about this uh, as they did not get a huge return for him. Uh, if not anything, they basically got some spare parts, but uh, I don't want to get too much into it because this is kind of, um, sensitive topics around my hot take. So uh, I'm trying to prance around saying some certain names here. But um, yeah, but it's definitely a huge blow from the Carolina Hurricanes. And I don't know if they ever did it, but uh, common Steven, Steven, uh, Stevie Y dub is what the, uh, the kids are saying these days. And I guess I'm still a kid too. So uh, yeah, uh, it's just it's something <laughs> no the Detroit Red Wings just keep getting better better and better but um, yeah bright future for the Detroit Red Wings and they basically have, have everything that they want now they've got the forward prospects and they got the defense prospects and now they've got their future goaltender uh, and they can start to really build upon what they have now with their entire cap space too they have a massive amount of cap space so they can uh, really make a splash in the offseason and they can choose this offseason i really believe they can choose this offseason if they want to be um some high-end teams here they can be a better team if you sign like a landis you sign someone uh, another big name in free agency uh you trade for a tarasenko or something you get a big name you can be in the conversation to actually be in a playoff spot and i understand the atlantic division is very very tough but i definitely see them as uh risers and they're very very close to getting into a playoff spot they're just couple years away they're so close it's right underneath their fingertips yeah and i'm very happy not only not, not only to be able to not say uh ned anymore on the show and i could finally say nadelkovic because now it's flowing off the tongue nice but i'm very happy to see the detroit red wings team and i really have a soft spot for the detroit red wings odd saying that as a Leafs fan perspective i never really saw the rivalry there obviously i wasn't born in that time of uh th those years where they were really going at it but uh, I have a really soft spot for the Detroit Red Wings, and I really love to see them uh, elevate their play and elevate their roster. And Stevie Yzerman, uh, I guess what the kids are saying, uh, YW, I guess is what you said. But, uh, man, he keeps on stealing. And Aiden, I think he took your wizardry nickname uh, right off you with his trades that he's been winning uh, during his tenure so. during his tenure with the Detroit Red Wings. And we're, are we forgetting that he also has Jacob Branham? Like, this, mm -hmm. guy, this, this guy is the master of all trades – and they asked him after the trade. Oh, that was so funny. Uh, it was hilarious. They asked him, uh, what happened? How did you get him? He's like, I don't know. Ask, go ask them. And it's just hilarious. If another GM can say that to your organization, I'm talking uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes, that is insulting uh, to say that you couldn't even get Nijelkovic signed. It's going to be a big, no, I wouldn't say a hole in goal if you get Mrazic back up there. 
uh, I think you're decently flying. You could stay afloat in that Metro division. And maybe this means that they're taking a run at another big free agent goaltender. I don't really know what the list is looking like right now, but I don't know. There's a lot of question marks of why Najelkovic. Yeah. There's a lot of questions why Najelkovic didn't end up re-signing to the Carolina Hurricanes, a team and the fan base that seemed to give it all to him, but I guess the money simply wasn't there in Detroit. Uh, I also adding that same day, or I believe it was the next day, inking forward Ra- Michael Rasmussen to a three-year, $4.38 million contract extension. So nothing but positives coming out of Detroit. I don't know too much about Rasmussen. Iboni, you might have other ideas with me. Uh, I think uh, before we went on the show, you told me uh, that he was a part of the Maple yeah. Leafs organization. Please tell me that's not true. Is it true? Sorry, I did not hear that. Say it one more time. Is Rasmussen Was Rasmussen part of the Maple Leafs organization? He wasn't. He was actually drafted by Detroit. I misread it, but he was a uh, ninth overall pick in 2017. Okay, so 2017. Uh, I don't. I don't remember what year it was, but it was a ninth round pick. Uh, ninth, ninth overall pick. Yeah. So you're locking up a guy who's going to most likely be part of your future going forward and a bright future at that. This team. You mentioned Iboni that they might be contenders if they wanted to this year. The Atlantic Division, like you mentioned, is a pretty tough division to, to get that final fourth spot. I don't see Detroit getting a wild card spot. Maybe if they had a lot more bigger free agent names. But I still think they might want to wait it out a bit. Maybe if you were, I wouldn't say tank, but try to get a decent top 10 pick in the draft next season. And I think you're set for the upcoming years. You're going to have that cap space that they can play with now. I don't see them signing big name free agents during the season uh, in October all the way down to April. So this team's in a great position. I think Iserman can be credited for all of that, basically. And Aiden, I'm going to to just quickly turn it over to you. And I hope we can keep it brief. What are your thoughts on the Detroit Red Wings, this signing of Nijelkovic, and uh, the future that this Red Wings team uh, holds and how it's going to unfold for this team going forward? I mean, this is clearly Eisenman showing once again why he's one of the best GMs in the league. I mean, he trades a veteran goaltender who is a UFA, by the way. He could leave Detroit for absolutely nothing. So then it would be just a third for Nijelkovic. Not only that, but then he locks Djokovic up for two years at $3 million AAV. Right after Carolina had, what was it, a month since the season ended to sign him. $29 million of cap space to sign him. And they can't even get a deal done for $3 million. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there, but that is just looking like it's going to be a huge loss for the Carolina Hurricanes. And if you want to look at it from Detroit's point of view, uh, we clearly see that Eisen has a plan for a squad by bringing in more youthful talent, which we've seen throughout the last few drafts. And now with the accusation of Najelkovic, that this team has a bright future, man. I mean, just if you look at how many picks they've had, just even in the top 10 in the last few seasons, it's insane how much talent they have coming out of this organization. I mean, obviously young talent is never a bad idea because it means – you're most likely going to have more long-term success. And that's looking like what Detroit is going to have with Najelkovic and with the rest of this team. Yeah, they got youth coming out of the wazoo because uh, these guys are, uh, they're both young, they're both skilled, and they are going to be having a bright future down in Motor City. Uh, the Eisenman had a big weekend, I guess, drafting some big-time names. They had a bunch of high picks in this year's draft. Any re-signing players from old drafts as well when we're talking about Michael Rasmussen and getting Nadjalkovic to top the cake. And I don't think they're done yet. I think they can make a bit more noise 
and maybe readying themselves for these upcoming years because I think that's when the window is going to start to slowly open for this Red Wings team. And I think you're going to put down Yarsman as one of the best GMs to ever make the game. Uh, just continuously finding ways to steal trades and making other teams look silly. And Carolina, I'm sorry this is going to be a sensitive topic for you, Iboni. And I think it's going to be a pill that's going to be being tough to swallow for the next couple of seasons. This one is going to be looking quite poorly on the Carolina Hurricanes part going forward. But something that isn't going to be looking quite poorly going forward, and this is a pretty, I haven't said this really at all when talking about this organization, the Buffalo Sabres actually starting to win a couple trades. It's slowly starting to come together. The rebuild might be off to a good start. Uh, Reinhardt was one of the select few players so far to get off the ship of Buffalo, making his way to Florida for Devin Levi in a 2022 first round pick. And that is a key aspect to look at when you're looking at getting stuff for Sam Reinhardt. Great trade for both sides, in my opinion. You guys might disagree. I think Reinhardt will fit nicely on that top six role, and he will accommodate the Panthers forwards, and Devin Levi is a hard pill to swallow if you're looking at the Florida Panthers' perspective, especially after he showed some really big and key signs of stardom uh, back in December at the World Juniors for Team Canada and their silver medal run. Uh, the Panthers still do have Probofsky, and they're holding their cards really close to their future in Spencer Knight, who was terrific for the Panthers in his small sample size in the season. And, of course, that's really, really weird set of stretch of games for the uh, Florida Panthers in the uh, playoffs in the preliminary round of that. Uh, the first round pick next year does get overlooked, at least in my opinion, in this trade, and it shows the Sabres getting some promising value on a guy who was destined to leave. So I think we talked a lot about the Sabres in the other trades that were made, especially the ones with the Flyers in Rasmus Ristolainen. So I guess this is the big highlighted package that we're going to be focusing on in this segment of the show. What are your thoughts on the deal? Are the Sabres uh, and the Sabres moves thus far, is the rebuild off to a good start is the really big question that I'm going to ask both of you. I'm going to start with you, Aiden. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Reinhardt deal? Is he going to make a big impact with the Panthers? And was it a right return coming Buffalo's way? And, of course, is the rebuild off to a good start here in Buffalo? Well, I think uh, when we talk about this trade, I don't think there's really a clear winner at the moment as of right now. I think Reinhardt is a terrific player. He'll make an impact immediately in the Panthers lineup in the top six and just really adds another offensive threat to this Florida Panthers lineup, which, frankly, already was really, really good offensively last season, as we saw going Going the stretch against Tampa Bay, who ended up winning the Cup, making it seven games and nearly outscoring them, which we thought no one could. So definitely Sam Reinhardt. He'll be a big part of this Panthers culture going forward. Um, he's definitely – I think he he was worth a first overall, a first round pick and Devin Levi because of just what we've seen this season and what we know what's bound to come with him. Um in the past few seasons, he was known to be a guy who was really playing the supporting role to Jack Eichel. And many people were criticizing him by saying that he couldn't really uh, produce by himself. But this season with Jack Eichel out, uh, Sam Reinhardt really just seemed to be carrying the offense down the stretch throughout the season. Even though this team was the bottom of the barrel, he was still producing to the numbers we know he could. So... Obviously, seven Levi uh, to the Sabres is – sorry about that. My phone glitched there for a second. Seven Levi to the Sabres is going to be – might be telling the future for the Sabres, as we know. 
Omark is a UFA, so they might be hinting that he might be going soon. Or in that first round pick, I think that's just going to be helping with the future of the Sabres. For the rebuild, this isn't really a classic rebuild. What we're seeing here with with, uh, Buffalo is that they're stripping everything down to the bare minimum. Uh, Usually what we see with the team is that they keep some young stars and just build around them. But I think what Kevin Adams, the GM of this team, is going to do is really going to be taking everything apart and just restarting, which I think is a good idea because you really don't want to go down this rabbit hole, which they seem to keep going down, which is ongoing rebuilds. So I think if they do get it right this time by recouping assets from the guys they have in the lineup now, they can definitely be a team to be competitive, not now, but in a few years, definitely. And we really thought a couple of years ago, and I think we look back at it and just think how dumb we were, how the rebuild was centered, and you mentioned this, Aiden, I'm really glad you mentioned this. Uh, you usually center a rebuild as a franchise around a key area, maybe a young guy or a guy maybe reaching his uh, mid-20s or something like that. Uh, one of those big players was Jack Eichel when he was drafted. Uh, they centered their rebuild strictly around him. They added Reinhardt. Uh, they also added Ristolainen. Those two guys obviously getting shipped off, which also be getting shipped off along with Jack Eichel. But that was the first set of rebuilds, and it didn't go to plan. The Buffalo Sabres still found a way to stink up the league and finish at the floor mat of the division. And obviously, which well, we're talking about them now, that rebuild didn't work. Now, this one is going to be an intriguing one. They're stripping everything down, like you mentioned. And you mentioned they don't want to go down this rabbit hole again. So who are they going to build their team around is my big question as well. Uh, they don't have too many... I don't want to say they don't have too many young prospects. Obviously, they have a plethora of them. But they don't got a guy who's on the active roster right now who can go out and make a difference. There's no really star power on this team right now. When you're going to look at Jack Eichel, he's still a Sabre. We all know it's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. He'll be getting shipped off to what's looking to be a more better destination than he had in Buffalo. So who is it going to be rebuilding around uh, for the Buffalo Sabres? Is it Devin Levi? I don't think that's a really bad idea. And I think it would be even better. And I think this would make Buffalo a little bit more of a dangerous team if they were to add one more strong, promising goaltender. And this is a risk. I think this is a hot take in itself. And I don't know how much this is going to work out, but would you see ever see Buffalo trading for Carter Hart? Um... It's out of this. This 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 question's out of left field here. I, I'm thinking this off the top. Yeah, of my head. I can see that. Because you're. I don't you're, think they will. No, and they they don't need it. He's okay. young, but no. the inconsistencies he showed last year would just be even worse through a rebuild. So you'd just be wasting years where he could be getting better and better and progressing in his career behind a terrible team. Yeah, and that's a fair point. You mentioned. Uh, like I'm going to say it again, uh, going down that rabbit hole, you really want to hit with who you're going to be centering your team around. Uh, Carter Hart, this is why I sort of made the the mention here. He is young. He's obviously still young. He had an off season uh, that does happen and you don't want to make it seem as a consistent sort of stature or trait. So this season is going to be a big season for Carter Hart, especially, but you're looking at this two combo that you could throw potentially in uh, Devin Levi and Carter Hart, both team Canada alumni. You could kind of roll with it. I mean, it's it's definitely a unique choice. There's no veteran leadership there. They're both young players. You don't really have someone to look up to. But it, it could be a possibility. I mean, obviously, everything's a possibility. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. I think Buffalo has a lot more areas they could fill, a lot more holes they can fill, and a lot more things that they have to look at this offseason. And I'm going to turn this one over to you, Boney, because I didn't get your answer just yet. But what are your thoughts on this uh, Reinhardt deal? 
and the moves that the Sabres have made thus far. Are they really starting to make a nice impact in this rebuild? This is about their second or third run at it. Is this one looking more promising than the others? Um, I'm going to start with the Reinhardt trade. I think that Buffalo got absolutely fleeced. I think that they deserved at, like, at least a first, a second, and Devin Levi. Uh, a couple extra draft players here. They, they deserved more than what they received. Uh, more assets from the Ristolainen trade than you get from the Sam Reinhardt trade. That's how you know it's a problem. I don't know what happened on with Buffalo here. I don't know what uh, kind of magic Bill Zito uh, was working in in Florida. Um, he got he got a very very solid trade for Sam Reinhardt, a player play on a top line on majority of the teams. So uh, this guy is an insane player. He's a young player, puts up massive amounts of points. Uh, I haven't watched a whole lot of his game, but I think back checker. Uh, he's definitely got some speed on our play. Um, like it's a player that's um, a very notable player. He's very young, uh, very versatile, and you're getting him for essentially a pick that's going to be uh, pick 15 and below and prospect Devin Levi, which I mean, if you're looking at, um, it's not as good as getting the 14th pick, a second round pick and Robert Hag from Philadelphia for Rasmus Ristolainen, who really is nowhere near the kind of star quality that Sam Reinhardt is. Uh, plus, uh, not to mention the draft pick that they got is top ten protected. So even if Florida um, shit the bed, they are not getting a top ten pick. Buffalo. As for the rebuild, though, I think that um, the picks help the rebuild, but uh, obviously you'd like to get more from it. And Buffalo is not known for drafting very well, um, unless it's in like the top ten picks. They're not very good at drafting very well. Uh, so I, I don't know. They chose to elect to draft picks instead, which is a little bit surprising for me. Uh, Devin Levi is a big prospect, but um, I'm looking at the name here, and I don't know if you guys know who this player is at all, but I've been looking at this player ever since he was been drafted. Pekka Lukanen is a goaltender for the uh, Buffalo Sabres, and he's very, very good. He carried Finland uh, through multiple goal tournaments, um, and he's been a very, very solid contributor. He's been... Uh, up and down AHL, NHL has played four NHL games. I think he's got a 909. Actually, I have it right open here. He's got in the NHL so far, uh, which is decent for the 21 year old. He's now 22. Um, very promising goaltender, and everyone's uh, speculating that his potential is to be a uh, fringe franchise goaltender for the Buffalo Sabres. So, kind of his backup guy, and maybe he's like a because uh, I, I, I don't I don't I don't see him getting Pekka Lukanen in the um, starting role unless obviously he proves himself when he gets up to the NHL, which won't be for a long time from now. Uh, as for players, um, you've got Jack Quinn. You've got uh, I'm gonna go with a bunch rather than just one player, uh, and that's kind of the strategy. Just kind of went around. You got the young player. You've got Rasmus Dahlin. You've got, uh, like I just said, Jack Quinn. You've got Casey Middlestat, um, Dylan Cousins, Tate Young, uh, Victor Olofsson. Is, uh, he's not quite young, but he's one of those uh, older guys. He's been there before, um, kind of knows what to do in certain situations, and he can kind of teach some of the younger guys because uh, he's been a prospect not long ago, and uh, he's worth and get higher stocks. So he's, he's going to be a nice mentor. Show what you need to do to get to a better level. 
Yeah, and a lot of promising strides for this team. Uh, I think we've been saying this a lot about some of, of these rebuilding teams. Detroit's a big one to mention. I wouldn't say if the Flyers were a rebuilding team, but they did make some promising signs on the defensive end. And I think Buffalo is going to be added to this list as well. Uh, the Reinhardt deal, I can also, I really like what you mentioned as well. When you compare this to what they just made, that other deal, Sam Rein, uh, Sam Reinhardt, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, who they got from that. And, I mean, you definitely could have gotten a lot more for uh, Reinhardt, considering you got more with Rasmus Ristolainen. So it, it just begs to ask the question what the G GM of the Sabres was thinking when he was looking for the return here. You could go the other way and say, uh, that this was a complete fleece job. I think you mentioned that as well. Iboni for the Panthers. You're getting a Reinhardt who's going to fit completely perfectly, in my opinion, adding his speed, his versatility, and the way he plays. He's just so much compliments to the players around him in, in uh, Florida. So it's going to be very fun to watch him play down there, down south. And, of course, these picks coming to uh, the Buffalo Sabres organization. And you mentioned players to build around. Maybe the Buffalo uh, tangent like the Toronto Maple Leafs and build around a couple players. And I think we forgot the name. I didn't hear you mention it. Owen Power. He's uh, the first oh, yeah, overall no. pick this year. That's very true. Yeah. He's, he's not he, on the cap friendly list. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. yet. Not but yet. He will most definitely impact this team being that first round pick. I heard the Buffalo Sabres have high plans with him and immediate plans to put him in that lineup right away. I know he wants to go back and play for Michigan. Buffalo might just have to put a halt on that and maybe generate some maybe attention around this organization. An organization so infamous for horrible attention and uh, no people going to the games, poor fanship. And I think Owen Power pairing him up with Rasmus Dahlin is a perfect way to kick it off. And you mentioned the young goaltending combo with Devin Levi and uh, the young Finnish goaltender who I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name. Uh, but yeah, a lot of promising signs, promising youthful signs. And they have some picks in the upcoming drafts. We'll just have to wait and see. This year is not going to be it for the Sabres. I want to get that clear cut here. But definitely some great, great, uh, great things to look at from this last weekend and a bit over the NHL. And the Buffalo Sabres, I think, in a way, are off to a good start to this rebuild. And finally, I wouldn't say finally, we have one more topic on the show, but we'll get into the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, they've been trying to get to the cap floor as much as possible, or so it seems. They've been letting go of a bunch of poor contracts while getting outside ones in exchange for picks. And this is one of this is one of the interesting elements that I had never seen before in the National Hockey League, at least to my age. Uh, seeing a team generate so much or take in so much players on the cap side of things in exchange for picks. Now, if you remember closely, Arizona was uh, stripped of their first round pick in this year's draft. Uh, they had to forfeit that due to combine issues uh, a couple years ago. And they don't have many other picks in the upcoming drafts. Uh, and they had to pick up a lot of picks with the cap space. And that's exactly what they did. They took Andrew Ladd's contract in exchange for the New York Islanders plethora of picks. So, saying the air because they got so many guys coming up and they made some decent selections with their picks in this year's draft so we're going to wait and see what happens in the future but this is one this is the big thing i want to focus out of uh, arizona coyotes we don't really dedicate a segment strictly to them because they don't get much attention on the show but they did kind of make a blockbuster trade this past week arizona picking up a first round pick in this year's draft by dealing oliver ackman larson and garland to vancouver for Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, a second-round pick in 2022, and a seventh in 2023. Now, the Yotes gained some much-needed selections in the upcoming drafts, like I mentioned, and just add some bullets to their gun in the process. Uh, and they also obtained some decent talent from the Canucks that will help bolster their offense during this rebuilding time for the Coyotes. Now, the Canucks, 
They gain a reliable defenseman, Oliver, Oliver Ekman Larson, to play alongside Quinn Hughes. And this is a big storyline. I'm really looking forward to following this upcoming season. How will Oliver Ekman Larson, a veteran defenseman, a stay at home defenseman, impact Quinn Hughes? We saw this, and I actually thought we would see this a little bit more with the Toronto Maple Leafs, not with the age gap difference, but the style of play difference between Morgan Riley and TJ Brody. We didn't get too much of a massive production from Morgan Riley, we got some decent production from him. But nothing crazy and nothing to the likes that I expect to see heading into the season because TJ Brody's more of a blue line sort of guy. He stays at his own defensive end and is very, very uh, cleansely in his defensive end. And he's a really good defensive player. I think we can see a similar aspect come into play when we're talking about Quinn Hughes and their newly acquired Oliver Ekman Larson. And that'll be, in, at least in my opinion, a really interesting storyline to see. And they also gain a top six forward, which we're sort of not talking about too much in Connor Garland. He was rumored to hit the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he ended up going to the Vancouver Canucks. So who came out top on this blockbuster deal is the big question to ask. And did the Canucks pay too much for these two players? Iboni, I'll start with you. Who came out on top in this deal? Oh, the Canucks. Uh, I think that uh, getting $12 million off of your cap space, granted, all of them expire next year. Getting that money off of your table, huge sigh of relief. First of all, kudos to Jim Benning. That was Huge sigh of relief. Uh, you pay anything to do that. You really do. It's $12 million off your book. Now you can go sign Pedersen, uh, whoever the heck you need to sign. I think it's Quinn Hughes as well. Uh, whoever you need to sign, go and sign him. You've now got $12 million. I can easily cover um, at least one of them and partial of the other one, plus whatever cap space you have left uh, from before this trade. Uh, I think that it's a very, very crucial trade that needs to be made. You deal some players that are old, people that aren't really getting the production. Uh, legendary uh, Vancouver Canucks legend Louis Erickson has now left the team. Sadly, uh, that's going to be very, very bad in the look. Not, not even lying. Like, not, very, very bad in the locker room in that sense because he's been around forever. Uh, but other than that, like, giving up a ninth round pick and a second, a second and a seventh is not even that bad. Uh, that's a lottery ball. That's kind of a, a either hit or miss pick. And a seventh is just like a throwaway pick. It's just here. Just take whatever you can, little scrap parts there. But the ninth overall pick is really the key factor in uh, this trade, and that's what kind of got it done. And I'm surprised that it took this little to get Garland and Oliver Ekman-Larsen. Now, granted, Ekman-Larsen's getting up there in age just a little bit. Uh, his production's kind of dropping a little bit. His contract is a little bit high, and it's uh, quite lengthy. But uh, for Connor, uh, the second-round pick and um, the seventh-round pick possibly for a Garland, but the ninth overall pick, for Oliver Ekman Larson and all the cap relief is um, not a high price to pay. I don't think it's all that high. I think it's Vancouver winning the trade. Uh, I think that Arizona probably could have dug a little bit more to get an extra little like third round pick in there, maybe a fourth round pick, fifth, uh, something, some, just something else. They needed something to go their way uh, to kind of sweeten the year. But uh, Vancouver came out on top. Killing that cap space is just absolutely important for Jim Benning and. I'm very uh, excited to see what they're going to do in the offseason. And you can look at this trade at both ways, who came out on top. I think it's really clear cut to see Jim Benning was the uh, pretty much favorable matchup in this trade. Just getting that much cap space, $12 million, is a massive, massive uh, advantage to your team. You have these big guys. This is your future. This is your core that you're going to have to re-sign in the upcoming seasons. Now you have the money to do so. So I think that opens so many doors for what Jim Benning can do with his team. And this is one of the big storylines that I was looking at heading into this trade and analyzing it and picking apart at it. 
the Canucks came from the deadly sins of where they were going to go and now kind of look like they can go back and contend to what they were going towards before. And that was a conference final uh, last year in the bubble. So, I mean, you, the Canucks came off a really bad season. They had a lot of factors that play into it, obviously, down that final stretch. They couldn't even get any consistent play. Their team got really hit hard. I think we forget about that pretty quickly. They got Their team got really hard, hit hard with the COVID-19 virus. And Braden Holpe was having a really off year. Injuries kind of plagued the Vancouver Canucks season. I believe Pedersen was injured for a large part of that, as well as I believe Besser was sort of dealing with some injuries as well, mm-hmm. whichever the case was. Some guys were hurt, banged up, virus. It was a total gong show in that condensed season for the Vancouver Canucks. And it didn't look too promising into the offseason. Lots of questions being asked towards Jim Benning uh, and the Vancouver Canucks. And I think this trade here really answered that one and said, we're back to where we want to be. We're back to where we were planning on being. Last season was just a fluke. And they added Oliver ekman Larson, great defensive uh, defensive player, his contract is a bit hefty, like you mentioned, Iboni, and I've never seen this before in hockey, and Aiden, I remember you telling me this as well. When did you ever see the last time a team retained 12% of a dude's salary? Oh, like, that's just an odd number to go at it. But, it's a very strange number to retain. Yeah, it's uh, you don't see well, it too often usually. Go on, Iboni. It's to get an even $1 million off his contract. That's why they did 12 yeah, so uh, you, you, at least you're saving some money. I have never seen the 12% range ever thrown around there before, but it was interesting to say, and obviously another positive for the Vancouver Canucks. They're getting some money shedded off Oliver ekman Larson as well, and Connor Garland's a great fit in Vancouver. He's going to easily slide into a top-six role. Uh, it'd be really fun to see him play with uh, Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and see what he can do with those players. So uh, definitely interesting. Definitely agree with you there, I believe, on them coming out on top. I, Aiden, do you have any other ideas with this trade and the, the Canucks kind of pay too much for these two players. Uh, what are your thoughts on the trade? Um, no, I got to agree with Iboni here. I think the Canucks did come out on top. I don't really dislike the trade for either team. I think it was going to happen eventually. Uh, the Coyote, the Coyotes definitely needed to recoup some uh, draft picks for their future going through, I'd say like a semi rebuild where you still have some players on your team and can still be somewhat competitive while at the same time trying to build your future. And if you look at Vancouver, they obviously needed to get cap off their hands to be able to sign guys like Pedersen and Hughes, who are going to be making upwards of 5 to $6 million, if not more than that, every year. So I think if we look at uh, from Vancouver's point of view, I think they won because if you – Look at the, the trade for Ladd or the trade for Gossespierre. It was teams um, trading to get more cap space and pretty much saying, you know what, if you eat this cap space, we'll give you picks and so on and so forth for future considerations. And if you look at this trade, Vancouver did do that, and they still were able to gather OEL and Garland, two players who are definitely going to be amazing for this squad OEL you know I think he's going to fit in perfectly in Vancouver uh the Canucks are known for being a team that has a net front presence that scores a lot of goals from tips and OEL is a guy who likes to shoot so I think he'll definitely be another power play presence um maybe on the second power power play as we've seen Quinn Hughes is deadly on the first one so just adds more and more depth on both the defensive side and the offensive side for the Canucks and add some future for the Arizona Coyotes. 
And I'm a background Vancouver fan. I got a little bit of a bias, but I'm really interested to see how this uh, storyline plays out on the back burner. Blockbuster trade. I think one of the bigger trades that we've seen coming out of the NHL over this past week. Uh, I think you can kind of figure it as a win-win for both sides. I think you're going to want to lean towards the Vancouver Canucks more because they got that cap space. And they got some two really high-end players. And then you look at the uh, Coyotes as well and say, well, they had the, they needed picks and they went out and got some picks. So uh, they both teams got what they had to get done. And, man, it's going to be a fun time in Vancouver now, back from the dead uh, after a horrible season and are looking pretty promising and ready to make some noise in the Pacific. And finally, the final topic of the day, uh, before our hot takes, that is, Seth Jones making his way to Chicago, uniting with his brother in a deal that also included the Blue Jackets' first-round pick, a 2022 six-round pick, and in return, the Blue Jackets regained a first-round pick and a second-round pick in next year's first-round pick, and Adam Bodquist. Now, a lot of things coming back to Columbus's way. For a guy like Seth Jones' stature, it was pretty much expected, but this is what was the big problem. That wasn't really the trade that really got me, but it was the money that came along with it, and shortly after that was. Jones was later signed to a massive and get a cup of coffee ready, uh, eight-year, $76 million contract extension. This is by far a monster deal coming out of the Chicago's organization. Bowman, I'm really kind of scratching my head, and I think Chicago fans will be left uh, in the same mood here about this contract extension, who didn't even play a game yet for the Blackhawks. I guess they're banking on what happened and what he did only for a couple seasons in Columbus. So, I, I'm, I really need to hear your guys' thoughts on this because I'm kind of completely lost with why uh, Jones was signed to such a massive deal, an eight-year deal, the maximum you could go. And $76 million, that's a big fee paying for... Obviously, he's a top-two uh, defenseman on any given team, but is he really that good of a player? Iboni, I'll start with you. Uh, no, he's not really that good of a player. And, I mean, he is a good player. I mean, you, you can't deny that he is... Um, a solid defenseman and uh, definitely, like you said, uh, top two, if not top three on uh, almost every single team. But uh, with the sign that they did, extension that they gave, uh, I'm just going to mention it now. He's making 5.4 this year. But going into the next season, he's the third highest paid defenseman in the entire National Hockey League behind awful contract Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty. Uh, the next highest next season, uh, if things stay the same and no one else signs a bigger contract, you got um, Seth Jones at three. And I think that the top three defensemen uh, for highest paid contracts are probably some of the worst defensemen. Uh, Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty, and Seth Jones is up there too. Uh, people say that Seth Jones is a good defenseman. He's good at scoring. That's about all he can do. The only reason that I believe uh, Seth Jones was considered to be decent last year because he had Zach Wierenski by his side. And Zach Wierenski was uh, a bit more of the stay-at-home guy while Jones kind of did his thing. Uh, so it's just, uh, for the trade-wise, I think that the trade was uh, pretty decent. Uh, I mean, you give up a first-round Bachvist and a couple extra picks attached to that. Um, I, I It might have been a little bit too much. And I think that uh, when, when you're giving up that many first-round picks, like – I mean, you're getting one in return. So if you cancel out, like, the two picks, it's basically a first round and a second round Adam Bockvist for Seth Jones and a sixth, which is a bit of an overpayment. I think you can scrap maybe the first and attach another second to it, and it'd be perfectly fine. Just as long as you swap firsts and then 
kind of coincide with your draft picks. Adam Bokvis, uh is a very solid defenseman, and he hasn't gotten the opportunity in Chicago like he probably should have gotten. Uh, but he is definitely going to be playing for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, you know, but definitely blossom as Aiden used earlier in the show. He will uh, definitely bloom into a better defenseman uh, with the playing time that he will be respectfully given. Um, so I think this trade is beneficial for both sides. Uh, Chicago threw in there. Probably wasn't really necessary. They probably could have uh, scratched that down a little bit more and um, saved themselves a little bit of the costs. But um, it just doesn't look all that great in Chicago right now, giving up uh, all these first-round picks and then signing to this massive deal. Basically, no reason. I don't know why he needs to feel so entitled to have this gigantic contract in Lots of massive contracts on their hands and some old age, and they're going through a rebuild. I'm, I'm just not sure what the ideology behind getting this guy at such a high contract is for this team. And I think we're gonna have to wait and see, which is the sad part of which what's what Bowman's really trying to do here. It's uh, it's really blew my mind when I first saw it, and it's really hard to pin the gold ribbon to who's gonna win this trade when you're seeing the team give up all these amount of picks for just one dude. Uh, and I guess you could all say Seth Jones as well as a first-round pick. They, like you mentioned, Iboni, they cancel each other out. But uh, I have to see this as a Columbus Blue Jackets win simply because they're getting what they need. Uh, and I don't think the Blue, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are really getting what they really need. They don't really need a guy like Seth Jones. They don't really need a guy like Seth Jones to make this much money. Uh, you mentioned where he ranked amongst these contracts, at least in his first year. And he's sitting right behind Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty. What do we know about these two contracts? That They haven't aged well. Uh, with this amount of time. Eric Carlson has done really nothing in San Jose after leaving Ottawa, where he was a Norris. I think he won the Norris, or he was a candidate, one of the two. But he was terrific when the Sens were making deep playoff runs. And Drew Doughty also, again, terrific when the LA Kings were making uh, deep power, uh, playoff runs. So two different guys on two different ends of the spectrum. And I don't think Seth Jones is going to be going any different route as well. I think this is going to be a bad contract that's going to be growing and getting even more disgusting when we look at it in the upcoming years. I don't think there was a need for Seth Jones, and I think, Iboni, you kind of side with me that in your own words as well. And Aiden, I'll just turn this one over to you quickly before we get into our hot takes. What did you think of the trade? Uh, I don't think you'd really say much about the Columbus Blue Jackets losing this trade, but even more importantly, the money that he's making in Seth Jones, do you think he was worth this amount of money with the, I wouldn't say lack of production, because he has produced very efficiently with the Columbus Blue Jackets on that top role, but was he worth this much money with the amount of production he's been going with? No. Absolutely not. Um, I think the trade was, frankly, unnecessary. I don't like you said the the Blackhawks are going to be going through another semi rebuild. So getting a guy like Seth Jones, especially adding two firsts, a second, and Adam Bockvist, I think this shows how much they really wanted Seth Jones. But I'm just confused why they wanted him now at this time. Um, Bokvist, I did some scouting on him earlier in the season when we were doing our fantasy, and yep. he's honestly not. What were you gonna say? No, 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 you were. I was just saying you were doing your scouting stuff with the fantasy stuff. That's that's about it. Yeah, I was just doing scouting on Bokvist, and honestly, he's not that bad of a player. Honestly, defensively in his own end, he's. Mediocre, I'd say, but on the power play, he really showed that he can actually be a producer for a consistent amount of time there. 
on the Chicago power play. It did help that he was playing with guys like Patrick Kane, uh, Alex Dabrinka, and Kirby Doc for some time. But even still, he's showing that he can be somewhat of a player similar to Seth Jones, maybe not to the same extent as him. But even then, I think this trade could have been done with just a single first, a second, and Bachvis, really. I think Chicago didn't really need to overpay for uh, Jones, and definitely he does not deserve $9.5 million every year. I mean, if you look at this in comparison to Kale McCarr, who is very close to being the best defenseman in the league, he's going to be in the future, and he's making it less than Seth Jones. It's just very confusing why they would pay so much to get him and pay so much to him eight years yeah it blows my mind just as much as uh it does yours uh both teams in really opposite ends of the spectrum the you mentioned Kale McCarr with the amount he's making I know he just recently got uh signed or I guess re-signed with the Colorado Avalanche it was going to be one of my notable mentions in the this week's news of hockey but if you're making if you're Seth Jones and you're making Kill McCarr money. You have to understand that this is you're not even close to the skill skill wise and skill rating that Kill McCarr is. Kill McCarr is a future. Uh, I wouldn't say Hall of Famer just yet, but he, there's so much future instilled in him. He's fast. He scores. He can play defense. He's the perfect storm if you're looking at a defenseman in this day and age and the way this game is trending towards. So, I, I think if you're making anywhere near that money, you have to be as good or even better than Kale McCarr if you're going to make that much money. That's the contract side of things. If you're looking at the trade, I think Chicago just shot themselves in the foot. I think they handed over a lot of more stuff than they really uh, should have. And Columbus is obviously going to take it at the end of the day. They need these picks. They're in their rebuilding stage, and they need that future. I, I think I think Seth Jones really was a thing. Go for broke if you were Chicago. You're giving away so much future for one player and you're not even out of the bushes just yet with the out of the woods with this rebuilding stage. You're still coming off a decently poor season. And it's, I don't know, it blows my mind. I think we're going to just have to see what the times tells. I don't know how much you could say about this deal. I think everyone will side the same way that it's too much money. And it was a definite overpay on Chicago's part. And I think, well, we'll just have to leave it at that. Again, uh, I think Seth Jones can really turn up another notch here in this upcoming season and show that, yeah, he is worth this year's money. But for the longevity of this contract, I think I have to disagree with this money and the much and the amount he is making. And I think that's going to conclude at least uh, our topic segment of the show. Seth Jones here. I think we're going to put a wrap on him, and we're going to make our way to the hot take segment. Uh, I personally don't have one right now. I kind of shadowed one when I was talking about uh, Carter Hart maybe potentially going to the uh, Buffalo Sabres, and then I've only quickly shut that one down, bringing up his out-of-left-field finished goaltender prospects. So... Uh, let's get that one out of the way. But Iboni, I hear you have a hot take, and Aiden, I'm not too sure if you have one. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Well, I have created one while we were doing the show. So oh, beautiful. I do actually have one now. We'll kick it off. Let's start off with you. All right. So my hot take is that the Vancouver's the Vancouver Canucks make it to the third round next year. Oh, yes. Jesus Christ. Yes, this is oddly specific. As I'm actually saying the exact round which they will be going to and eliminated. But I just have a funny feeling that Vancouver can repeat what they did last year in the bubble. Um, if they have another performance from one of their goaltenders, I don't think it'll be Hopi. But if Bobo Demko comes back, then other teams should be very worried because 
Now with the Vancouver Canucks getting even more scoring threat in Garland, it's getting more depth up front and in the back end with OEL. I think this team is only going to get better than it was before. Um, and even gaining more cap space, they could potentially sign not a super expensive guy uh, in the offseason, but definitely a piece which it'll bring fans into the stadium and say, come to watch him. So I definitely think the Vancouver Canucks can be a contender next year and will go far in the playoffs if everything goes to plan. There is there is a lot of speculation in that hot take. That was a very, like, I don't know if you went into the future, have a time machine in your back pocket, but that was an oddly specific round. And, it is, it is. Uh, we're going to have to, actually, we're going to have to just wait and see until, I guess, in a year's time where the Vancouver Canucks do end up. But uh, obviously this hot take is going to be playing out in quite a while. And you mentioned the style of play, the Vancouver Canucks uh, trend towards, and they're by far my favorite team to watch when it comes to playing playoff hockey. Because I, I, I played, I paid very close attention there. I don't pay too much close attention to teams when it comes to playoffs. I think I stick to the Leafs and just see how the other teams play out, but the Vancouver side here, I paid really close attention. I watched watched every single one of their games, them being the, one of the lonely Canadian teams to still be in it at the end of it when it was all said and done. And their style of play is terrific. It was something I wish the Maple Leafs could play and trend towards all season. I think, obviously, if you're looking at the regular season for the Maple Leafs, they obviously bested the Canucks in every way, shape, and form. But uh, I think the style of play in the playoffs was lacking with the Maple Leafs. I think that we could all say that. And I think that style of play in Vancouver is so prevalent. So there's a, I can really see a legit option for this team going decently far. I don't know about the third round. I think a playoff spot, if you ask Canucks fans, good enough for them. And I think the players they just acquired are uh, terrific acquisitions when you're looking at the style of play they aim towards, not just in the playoffs, but during the regular season as well, when times get tough, when they're faced with adversity. Uh, you mentioned Aiden as well when you were talking about OEL and Garland. Uh, playing a style of play where you get to the front of the net and uh, try to get things in from there, jam pucks home, tip things in, uh, getting into the goalie's face. And I think that's a key area of play that the Canucks focus on, and that is a key area that they'll have to look for, at least if your hot take's going to come to fruition when the playoffs come next year. So definitely one we're going to have to wait on. We're going to put that really far on the back burner, and we're going to turn this one over to Iaboni. I don't know if he's going to have as a hot take as uh, that one, but... Uh, we'll just yeah. have to wait and see. Iboni, what do you got prepared for us? It's not as hot as a hot take as Aiden's, but um, it's definitely going to make Steve Dangle happy. Uh, I think that the Nadeljevic trade, uh, in the Nadeljevic trade, Jonathan Bernier will end up being a not the best goaltender. I still think that... Um, I still think... Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, you're good. Okay, yeah. just making sure, because one of my AirPods just died. Okay. <laughs> um, I still think that... Um, the Detroit Red Wings won that trade, but I do think Jonathan Bernier will have a solid down. He'll be a solid goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I do think that they will re-sign him because he is a pending U.S. Way back in the 2015-16 season with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, behind Peter Morazic. Now, there's lots of ifs and buts with this. Uh, I do believe that with his injury, uh, his health problems, uh, he gets injured very often. I see that uh, potentially in the future he can have uh, another injury, and it's going to be the one-two punch, James Reimer, Jonathan Bernier. And it's going to be those one-two back to 2015 vibes, and they're going to bring the Carolina Hurricanes into the playoffs. Uh, it's going to be an amazing sequence to see from Leafs fans, just watching that duo reunited uh, as both 
goaltenders have been solid in the past. And honestly, they still are solid. If we look back at their past numbers, James Reimer in only 22 games, a whole lot of moments to shine, but he was kind of thrown into these odd situations. And he had a 9.06 last year, which isn't bad for a 33-year-old, uh, but the season 14. So he definitely has some good playing experiences in Carolina, and I definitely think that he can be um, of use in Carolina. Man, maybe, that is that is something uh, though. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you have anything else to say? Yeah, I'm just gonna mention Jonathan Bernier last with the Detroit Red Wings had 9.14 in 24 games with the Red Wings, and the year before that had a 9.07. Uh, to have a sub 900 average in Detroit is pretty promising if you look at it from the Carolina Hurricanes perspective. And it's nowhere near Nadeljevic and his stats, but uh, it's definitely um, something that they can look forward to, I guess, and something that Leafs fans can kind of um, look up to and say, hey, I remember those two guys. Nice to see them back together. Well, if you're a Hurricanes, now that you dealt in Nadeljkovic, uh, I guess you have to build your own bridges with the prospects that you're going to requip with the uh, goalie position, as well as who you got already in your organization, and of course, who they got from the trade in Jonathan Bernier. Uh, And I really really don't want to see that because that's a 2014 uh combo that i i was never hoping to go reacquaint myself with but we actually might get a quick taste of it if uh, morazic does end up going down with either an injury or maybe he doesn't sign uh like you mentioned it's obviously the biggest possibility the best situation for this team and you mentioned that their stat line isn't really that shabby i mean it's accomplishment in itself dominating as a goaltender in detroit especially when you're playing around guys like that stature so uh, Jonathan Bernier, I think he's a decent goaltender still at his age. John, uh, James Reimer, he did have a decent uh, season last year before his injury. Uh, he did get his net mining position taken to Nijelkovic, but I mean, I think it's a possibility. I don't know if, uh, if it's a hot take that much, but at the end of the day, we can see it, and I, I, I would be kind of excited to see a 2014 Maple Leafs combo hit the ice. All we're missing is Ben Scrivens, and we got a full lineup waiting to happen, but... <laughs> Uh, we'll just have to wait and see, uh, like all our hot takes. And I think that concludes our hot take segment of episode 23 of the Leafs Line podcast. And that does it for me, myself, uh, Michael Iboni, and Aiden McCullough. We'll be back at the mill here at uh, next week, next Sunday. Hopefully, uh, I believe well, well, free agency is going to be next uh, next mm-hmm. Thursday, no? Yeah. Uh, next Wednesday? Next yeah, free agency's, yeah. Yeah, free agency's yeah. coming up. So we're gonna... uh, I think it's yeah. Thursday. Thursday? Isn't it on your birthday? Oh. Uh, I don't know if I can join you guys. Yeah, my birthday's Thursday. I think it's the you're, you're here, Iboni. You're oh wait, you won't be able to uh, no reach I the work, show. I, I have work on Thursday. Oh so no, we'll, not we'll on Thursday. We're, we're, yeah, we were, so I don't think we're going to do the show on uh, Thursday. <laughs> but I think we're going to be getting into all the stuff that transpels and unfolds on Thursday next Sunday. Oh, you see. can see us and catch us. <laughs> uh, let's, don't do what Iboni didn't get confused, but we'll be here uh, for all you fans. Next Sunday, breaking down what's going to likely unfold as a busy week in the National Hockey League. We've had a couple busy weeks now. We've been keeping busy and up to date with these trades, transactions, expansion drafts, and more. And I don't think it's going to be slowing down, like I mentioned, off the top. But that does it for me. Uh, I'm Mary Russo. Again, joining me, Michael Iboni and Aiden McCullough. That is the conclusion of Episode 23 of the Least Line Podcast. I hope you all have a great evening and a great rest of your night. Cheers, everyone.